Welcome to episode 261 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Back in the day, our cell phones were all we looked at while commuting. People used to read the newspaper on their way to work if they commuted via train. In New York City, this means that all squished together on a crowded train, you'd see people reading a mix of publications, including the New York Times and the New York Post. A common scene would be a man reading the New York Times with the paper fully spread out, so it took up space in the adjacent seats. Next to him would be a woman occupying less than a full seat while reading a carefully folded and folded again copy of the New York Post. She was trying to take up as little space as possible while he was obliviously taking up more than his share. Can anyone say hashtag manspread? This visual keeps coming into my mind in recent weeks because while I've received a ton of support around my book and program launch, sometimes I get a different reaction. First, the positive. People are impressed with my systems, my messaging, my consistency, and the outcome of my effort. Awesome. It's always nice to be acknowledged since most of what we all do isn't seen. Then there's always a person who tries to knock you down a few pegs for being audacious enough to live big. Here's what I know. If you don't ever want to get negative feedback, do nothing extraordinary in life. If you stretch outside your comfort zone, that's a win even if you don't get the exact results you were hoping to achieve. Most people watching you stretch are going to feel inspired and may even take some action because you showed them it was possible. But there may be a person or two who feels threatened by your efforts and especially by your success. That's because they can't imagine that for themselves and seeing you take action challenges their limiting beliefs about themselves. Your challenge for this week Sometimes we're the person achieving, and sometimes we're the ones with the limiting beliefs. Which one would you rather be? Are you willing to take up the amount of space you deserve to occupy, even if others crowd you or try to limit your potential? One way to test this out is to write a weekly email to your subscribers. Yes, some will unsubscribe. Celebrate that. This means you are clearly writing to a particular person and those who don't resonate with your message are self-selecting out. When they do, this will increase your open rate and your email deliverability. Don't mourn the loss of subscribers. Focus on serving those who keep opening up your messages. Write to inspire, live to inspire. Try this and let me know how it goes. Before we dive into this week's interview, I'm doing a listening tour right now as I consider whether to launch additional offers. If you're already selling, I'm considering offering a one-day mastermind to help you break through whatever is holding you back from getting to the next level. My promise is you'll learn something from me or a fellow mastermind participant that you'll be able to implement right away to increase revenue in your business. If you haven't made any sales yet, I'm considering a 12-week program to guide you through the process of figuring out who your likely prospects are and what do they need that you can sell. My promise is you'll learn a repeatable system for building an audience for your irresistible offer. Either program works whether you are selling one-on-one coaching, 
online or offline courses, group programs, or aiming to speak more often. If you're writing a book and you want it to help you grow your business, the second group program is best. Does this sound intriguing? You want to discuss it further with me? Email me to schedule a chat. My email address is Robbie at RobbieSamuels.com. And thank you in advance. I can't wait to see what we create together and to hear about the increased impact you're having on the world. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest believes marketing and selling are two different things. She knows the problem is that selling to new clients feels uncomfortable and salesy, especially when you've never had to do it before. She's a three-time business owner who started her career in corporate marketing. She didn't learn to sell by being a commissioned salesperson. She taught herself everything she could about selling, overcame selling shyness, and created a sales approach that feels comfortable, builds strong client relationships, and gets results. In weeks, she teaches women what took her years to learn. She's a sales coach for women who run B2B consulting and coaching businesses, the founder of Smart Gets Paid, and the host of the Smart Gets Paid podcast. Please join me in welcoming Leah Niederthal. Thanks so much for having me. Leah, thanks so much for joining us from your place in Brooklyn, New York. As you know, this is a show about relationships and building strong networks. And I am so excited to talk to you because I think you and I share a lot of similar philosophies. But let's just kick this off by getting your definition of leadership. And also, when did you realize you had those skills? Yeah, I love this question. So to me, leadership is about enabling other people to do something in a better way, to think differently, and to sort of be their their better selves. Um, do you remember that there was, like in the 90s or maybe early 2000s, there was this anti-smoking campaign called the Truth Campaign? You yeah. know, you remember these commercials. I think everybody who was like watching TV at that time remembers these commercials. But for, if you're listening, they would, the Truth Campaign would set up these displays or these exhibits or whatever um, just out in the world. And they would illustrate some type of terrible thing about smoking or something like a fact that would blow your mind or expose some sort of hypocrisy. And as people would walk by, they would have this moment of realization of what they were reading and what they were understanding. And visually on screen, this little like asterisk, remember this little asterisk would just sort of like pop up by their head. And so, uh, and then it would just happen over and over and over. You'd sort of see this, uh, this, all these little people have little asterisks as they realized what they were what they were seeing. So that's kind of how I thought about leadership. It's less of like leading a whole group from above to get a whole group of people to do something or think something, but more sort of leading side by side and one by one to really give people this moment of recognition of something that they didn't know before or couldn't do before or a way they didn't think before. That's sort of how I feel about leadership. I love this visual. I mean, um, I also love that I can do this show for like five plus years and hear a different definition each time. Um, I love the visual of side by side. And even in community organizing, like I have a background in community organizing, it really is about being among the people, right? For the people, by the people. Like you, you partly are leading by demonstrating how leadership looks and giving other people opportunities to do it and giving them the moments of aha, those little asterisks above their heads popping on and being like, oh. And so um, I'm curious then, Leah, when did you start to realize like, hmm, I, I, might, I might have some of these skills myself? Yeah, well, it was really late actually because 
you know, when you think of sort of a traditional definition of leadership, right, like capital L, leadership, um, Harvard Business Review leadership, right? I didn't really think it applied to me because I used to sort of think you had to be loud and want to stand up in front of a group and be super inspiring and use your charisma to like motivate and change people. And, you know, when I thought about myself, like I was kind of a pudgy kid, I was bullied. I spent a lot of my childhood kind of wanting to like recede into the background, um, not to be seen. Right. And also, you know, you said it in the introduction, my, my name is Niederthal, which if you read it too quickly, it looks like Neanderthal. And as a little kid, I was kind of embarrassed by that. And, and I did not want to stand out for that reason, you know, and get made fun of yet again. And so for a long time, I didn't think of myself as a leader at all. And then I think it was in my first corporate job, I had a boss who was incredible. Uh, her name is Denise Delahorn. She was amazing. And she was such a leader, but not in the way that I had assumed leadership had to be. She was a leader in a very quiet way. She had a quiet manner about her. She, uh, you know, showed you a different way or a better way or encouraged you to do something through her intellect. You know, she was deep, she's deeply intelligent. And I always walked away from conversations with her feeling like she had changed my mind or I'd realized something about our work or something about myself that I didn't really know. And I guess for that reason, like having her as a boss was a total gift because that's the first time I saw a definition of leadership that felt right to me. And if, if I was that kind of person, then I think I, and then I just realized that I could be that kind of leader as well. That's, that's awesome that you had the opportunity to see like the kind of leader you would want to be out in the world being really effective too. You were personally feeling the effect of that. And that she wasn't doing it through, I guess, the more archetype leadership, capital L, as you were saying, you know, that you had formally thought you had to be a different kind of person to be perceived as a leader. And it also sounds like you had a difficult <laughs> childhood. I mean, the name, the chubby kid, the shyness, um, you know, do you think you started to show up a little more yourself as a teen or in college or was, was it really more? you know, into your first years of, of working, like, when did you start to, cause you're, I mean, it's hard to look at who you are today and what you've accomplished and think, Oh, shy, like person who hides in the corner, like, you know, you are vastly networked and well-known and liked and respected. And so it's like, when did that start to seed in you? And was it really from this point forward or was it even before that, did people see potential in you that you didn't really trust, but you, other people were like, you could do this, you could do that. Yeah. I can see, if I really think back, I can see two places that sort of led, led me to this point. I think the first one was, you know, cause all the way through college, I was, you know, deeply insecure. I had friends, I had a great group of friends. We had a blast, but I was also, you know, very insecure um, you know, like a lot of us are in college. And I think it was, so the first thing that chipped away at a big chunk of it was probably coming out at 24 when you sort of look around and you're like, wait a minute, the way I thought things had to be or had to be for me may not really be that way, right? It may not be true. And you have this opportunity to really evaluate, you know, how you might've seen yourself in the past. 
And does that really have to be true moving forward? And when I came out and I found these incredible friends and I really, that's the time that I felt like I could step out of my shell, you know, more than the closet, really. It's like, that's the shell. Um, And then I think this, and then the second thing is, my gosh, I totally forgot. Oh, so in my, in my early thirties, you know, so by this point I had had my corporate career. I worked in big advertising agencies. I had done corporate marketing. I had gone in-house to work at a tech company. And uh, in 2000, my uh, then girlfriend and I left our jobs, started started around a, a trip around the world and started a company that would be our first consulting company, right? Very location independent. We started a couple other companies, one of which was an organization called Lesbians Who Tech, which was basically we're like, we were professional gays for like, you know, several years. So, but in that relationship, not just the, prof- you know, romantic relationship, but also very much on the professional relationship, I was operating still very much like I had in the corporate world, um, very behind the scenes, heads down, doing the work, ho- you know, expecting that um, much like in my corporate world, like you do the good work and somebody's going to recognize you and promote you and give you a raise and all this stuff. Well, when I left, when we ended that relationship and I left that, um, that world of lesbians who tech and some of the other businesses that we ran, I realized that the way that I had been so behind the scenes just wouldn't work for the way that I wanted to run a business moving forward. And I was doing myself an incredible disservice. So that's the moment where I made a, you know, I, I'd like to say I had this like lightning bulb moment, but I, I didn't. It was more, I realized that this is something I needed to push through. And if I wasn't naturally comfortable with it, get comfortable with it. Like a slow hunch. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Slow, yeah. Slow like it, hunch. Like it, like it crept up on you until it was the obvious answer. You know, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's hard to break a habit around how you show up in the world because people come to expect you to show up a certain way. And even if you choose, even if you want to choose to show up differently, you sort of have to deal with other people's expectations. And it's, it's a weird way. I mean, I, a lot of the women I work with actually are going through this because they're, uh, and you work with a similar demographic, so I'm sure this resonates. They're later in life. They're no longer having to raise children. It's their time. And they don't know. I was just talking to someone who didn't know how they wanted to order uh, what they'd want to put on their own pizza because they'd never decided the pizza. It was always like what all oh, these other people in their house wanted or didn't want. And so, you know, you face that times like being an entrepreneur and trying new things and other people want you to sort of continue to be the caretaker. And so I just imagine like, if you'd been the behind the scenes person, just took care of things, like people come to rely on that. But now you were like, I need to find a new way forward. And I love the through line of how coming out, I, you then something you reminded me of, is that I think that coming out and, and, you know, and, and, and this is like for anyone who comes out in any way, I suppose, but particularly people who are in the LGBTQ um, community, it's like, it makes you willing to reevaluate everything. <laughs> it's like, yes. there are no more assumptions about how you're supposed to be. If like, this is true, well, then I can re, I can kind of question everything. It's, and you know, you see it, I, I'm so, yes, you're absolutely right. And and it's not just the LGBTQ 
plus people. It's, you know, anybody who um, looked at their marriage and said, this isn't working for me. Anybody who looked at their faith or their religious community and said, this isn't working for me. And, you know, and on and on and on. But the, you know, it wasn't the easiest process, but it's such a gift and it, and it has really paid dividends into my business and into my life. So you've been very entrepreneurial in the story. Like you started out in corporate, you did that whole route. And it sounds like, I mean, first of all, that you decided to, you and your then partner go and, I mean, being a travel, a digital nomad was not a thing in 2000, the way it is in 2020, 2021. Like um, that's, that's wild. Although in 2020, it was a little difficult to be a digital nomad, I suppose. Um, but yeah, um, it, I mean, I feel like there's a lot more infrastructure available. I have friends that do this and like, they can hop all around Europe because there's like all these co-working spaces, et cetera, and guiding tours. And you could just let someone else handle the details. But, um, what, what was the impetus behind that? It's like a major left turn from the way your life had been leading. Yeah. Major, um, especially since I was very much trained in the, or, you know, cooked in the like corporate soup, right. In the sense that, um, get a job, be there for a long time. Right. I, I was really lucky that my mom went back to school when, uh, my younger sister went to kindergarten and she became a physical therapist. So I have this model of somebody who really, you know, said, this is what I want to do and, and change basically careers from being a stay at home mom to, to being a physical therapist. But, um, but anyway, at that, at that time, yeah, it was kind of groundbreaking. You know, we were so into like Tim Ferriss and the four hour work week and, and I had been unhappy in my corporate career uh, you know, for maybe the year prior to this, every few weeks, I would say, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go to Costa Rica for two weeks and just sit on a beach, or I'm going to go, I don't know, go on a safari in Africa, or I'm going to live in Israel for six years or for six months. And none of that would actually happen. Um, but I was primed for a big change. And, and, you know, when I met a woman, a woman joined my company who was a few years older than me and more advanced in her career. And she said that they had, she and her husband had done this and she uh, had come back to, you know, the corporate world and she had joined my company as a VP. And she said, you know, it'll never make you any less hireable uh, if you do this. And so, and the fact that she had come back and had come back at the level that she had just reassured me that listen, it's, this is not a career killer, you know, cause everything was sort of seen through the lens of my career, but this is not a career killer. So just try it. Yeah. Meanwhile, that was my last job ever, but you know, that's a, another story. Right. Right. But at least it, it, I mean, again, because you pulled that bandaid off, it exposed like new opportunities that you would never have seen. Like, you know, this is a scary big shift and then you get to reevaluate everything. Were you surrounded by other entrepreneurs growing up? Like, was that a, even like a life choice that you knew much about growing up? It's so funny. If you had asked me this question when I was younger, I would say no. But looking back as an adult on my family, I have to say yes. So my uh, my dad ran, he's a doctor, but he ran a private practice for years and years and years. And um actually got into a situation where he sold the practice and it was mismanaged. He had to buy it back because 
it was that important for him to to run his medical practice the way he wanted to and serve his patients the way he wanted to. Um, my great grandfather started a business uh, in our hometown of Nashville, Tennessee, and at first it was a jewelry business, and then they moved, they changed to making metals, you know, for like swim meets and stuff, and now the business is in uh, the industry is called advertising specialty. So a company would hire my family's business to put its logo on thousands and thousands of mugs for all the employees, right? Stuff like that. So it's called Goldner Associates and Goldner is uh, my family's, uh, my family's name. And that's, you know, the business that my uncle and my cousin run. That's the business that my grandmother still went to work at and opened the mail till she was in her nineties. And so I guess yeah, I'm pretty lucky that. Oh, and on my other side, on my and my mother's side, my grandfather, no, my great grandfather ran or uh, had a a clothing store. It was fine women's clothing and furs. Strangely enough, on Flatbush Avenue, about a 15 minute walk from my Brooklyn apartment. Wow. So, yeah. So I guess I am lucky that I have that in my blood. Yeah, in that in in your blood, there was a model. It was normal. It was so normal that growing up, you didn't even think of it as extraordinary, because this was just what you did. And the fact that there's this business that your great grandfather established that is still running is just so remarkable. I mean, that's an amazing feat all on its own to have that kind of fortitude um, through all and, and to keep innovating. I think that you know, obviously, that didn't stay in one you know lane. It was jewelry and then metals and then mugs and then sort of whatever you want to have imprinted. Right. So I, I love, I love hearing about the longevity of that business. And it also maybe wasn't as scary then when you started thinking about, or was it when you started thinking about it for yourself? Cause you were, like you said, swimming in the soup of corporate, but like, oh, it, what, was, what, it was plenty scary. It was plenty <laughs> scary. What, what, what was it then? Was it like, was it more mindset or was it skills that you felt like you were needed to acquire? Gosh, what a great question. Um, I think that it was first mindset, then skills. So on the mindset piece, I had to learn how to hustle and how to not even hustle. That's probably a bad way of saying it. I actually, I had to learn how to persevere. You know, I came from a pretty academic background and I was allowed to quit a lot of things growing up. I don't feel like I had a lot of grit. And so grit was something I had to learn. And, you know, another piece of mindset was like for the first few years, my parents probably couldn't tell you what I did for work. Right. And, and the fact that I didn't fit into something that was a clearly definable and understandable thing to other people, you know, made me question things as well. But then it was definitely the skills. And I think as an entrepreneur, you're, if you, you're always learning skills, you know, whether you realize it or not. And um, I mean, lucky for me, I'm a just intellectually curious person, but um, there's just a lot of, a lot of skill building. There's a lot of growth. Some of it's fun. Some of it's not fun, uh, but it's a, it's a constant process. So when you started making these shifts, did you already have a community around you that you could lean into of peers and mentors that have like, we're also on that entrepreneurial journey 
or did you have to, I mean, you were in a corporate space, but did you, did you have the social circle or did you have to go find it as you were making these shifts? I had to go find it. Hmm. My, my very first business, which I don't talk about all that much is actually, actually was a social network. Um, so I sort of built the network that was the business. Um, it was called the chain link and it was based in Chicago, which where, where I was living. And it was an online community for Chicago cycling. There are tens of thousands of cyclists in Chicago and I was a cyclist, but it's very hard to find one another and find a, find things to do and people to ride with. So I started it, uh, and it quickly grew. And so in that respect, I was, that was actually probably the first time I was reluctantly in the spotlight, you know, cause people knew me as the founder of this thing. When I, I eventually sold that business. And later on, when I started the businesses that really evolved to what I'm doing today, I didn't really have the network, you know, and I, and I wasn't, and I didn't quite know how to get it because I was so used to being behind the scenes. So I think that, you know, I wish that I had had the network. Now I know so much more about how to do that and why to do that and the way to do that. It feels right for you. But uh, I wish I had known that back then. I love this uh, first business that you rarely talk about. I, I'm like, I ran a meetup group for uh, 11 years called Socializing for Justice, which was about bringing together like-minded, lefty, progressive, social justice folks who had, you know, shared values, but not, you know, not all working towards the same cause. We actually couldn't agree on anything, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was great. Like we were safe enough in that space to like learn from each other. And we hosted socials as a way to give people opportunities to find each other across silos, across organizations, across issues. And it was amazing. And I don't have a fear of being in the spotlight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that wasn't challenging in that respect. Um, that's total extrovert privilege right there. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I think, you know, once you realize you need that community, like you said, fi- figuring out how to f- do it your own way. Um, I, can you say a little more about that? Because I, I think it's really intriguing because just like leadership is a thing that people think is done a certain way, like building community, building a network is something I think people have like a one way to do. And, and clearly there, there are multiple options here. Yeah, it's still, it's so interesting because I, I feel like right now I move so fast that I don't often stop and think, well, how do I do something? What is my sort of philosophy on networking or building community? You know, I think that if you take the sort of standard definition of like networking, right? Air quotes, there's this, sorry, I hope we can like, we can edit this because I'm, because I made a bunch of notes for this, but I didn't make notes on this question. Um, <laughs> I, I like, I, it's real for me. I love okay. asking questions, honestly, that make you think, because yeah. you know, that's part no, of the no, conversation no. here. <laughs> I will totally, totally, I mean, keep in as much of this, of sort of me thinking and fumbling as you want. You know, it's funny. There is, um, I recently, I don't know why this is just popping in my head. I recently saw an ad actually from Esther Perel, the famous relationship you know, counselor and therapist. And she said, show me how you were loved and I will show you how you love, right? I don't, somehow, for some reason, this is popping into my head right now because it's like, show me how you make friends and I'll show you how you network. So I am somebody who I'm a total small group person. I, you know, would much rather be one-on-one. I am that person that could 
conceivably talk to one person all, all night at a party, right? If we get on some topic that we both enjoy. And so I can sort of see how that plays out in my networking, you know, like when it, when it comes to sort of building community, um, I value smaller groups. I, I value yeah. individual people. It's not a collection. I'm not trying to collect people out here. Right. I find that really unfulfilling. Um, I would, I would much rather the, the program that I run is a small group program. It's like anywhere from, you know, eight to 15 people, eight to 15 women, because not only do I think that that's sort of how they can best learn how to solve their sales challenges, but because I found that I found that much more fulfilling for me personally. So yeah. I don't I, know. I, I'm, I don't think I've ever stopped to think about it, but I, it's much more about a deep connection, like sort of going deep instead of going broad. Yeah. And I love this uh, example. You just, the quote that you just made around, you know, how, how you meet people it, like you shouldn't fake your way into networking with larger groups. If that's not what's comfortable, like, you know, kind of recognize and accept who you are and build from there and you'll do better in the world than if you try to be something you're not. Um, and one of the questions I always ask people um, is, you know, how do you nurture and sustain your network? So, you know, there's a like innermost circle of people that you, you'll naturally stay in touch with, but then what about that sort of second and third layers out the people that maybe you see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago in a, an intense amount of time, but you don't work with them now. Um, these are people you like, they like you, they remember you, you remember them. Like, how do you think about staying in touch or, reaching out or connecting with people or any habits or philosophies or practices? Yeah. I think for my, my small group, my inner circle, as you mentioned it, I think it's, it's more about that, like continuous little touches and the friends that I've really kept over the years are those where, you know, I can like text them a, a meme you know, and we get it and it may spark a conversation and it may not, but it's like, all right, we got our little dose for the, the day of the week. Right. For other people. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I wish I was better. I think in my past, probably before COVID and definitely before a toddler, I was better about reaching out, you know, and I would say there are so many people that I do think about that I make a mental note, like, oh, you know what? I should send them. I used to send emails just being like, hey, you popped into my head. Um, hope you're doing well. You know, how's your kid or whatever? And um, no response necessary. If you're busy, just wanting to pop in and say, hey, right? I think that is has gone by a little bit by the wayside while, I mean, per, I've been super overwhelmed for the past two years, uh, certainly with uh, in the pandemic era. But um, I know how much that means to me when I get those, and so I I want to make somebody else's day happy, right? And and you know show them that I was and that I remembered them. But you know the other way that I continue to nurture those relationships is 
by showing up on um, on social media. And I know that sounds really trite. And when I say social media, I've gotten off Facebook for, except for work, I've gotten off Instagram. LinkedIn is really my, my channel. But, um, you know, I think that a lot of people feel a little isolated. Well, people feel a, lot, a little isolated, especially right now, but a lot of people feel invisible. But the root is one of the reasons is that they themselves are not showing up and allowing people to, you know, get a taste of how they're doing or allowing them to say hi or comment or send a message, saw your post, loved it, you know? And so I think part of showing up is for you, but I think it's also for the people, you know, the other people who either have a relationship with you or feel like they do because they, they get to know you in that way. Yeah, I, I definitely saw that when I had a kid the first time and started posting photos and then discovered like a whole new type of person who was interacting with me and like knew about my family and knew when we had a second kid and like just really were paying attention in a way they hadn't been before. And, you know, that could be true if I had started posting about something else too, but like I, that was one example. Um, this all is making me think of a different segue that I want to have because of your specialty. Oh, do you have something? Go ahead, Lee. Well, and, you know, the, the people who um, sort of surface themselves, right? They like come out of the woodwork and start engaging with your stuff. It's, it's actually something that um, I talk about in my work as well, because I'm helping women uh, who run consulting and coaching business start to use LinkedIn to, um, you know, to get leads for their business and what have you. And one of the things I share with them is the people that, you know, you can post a something. You can post something for 30 days, right? You can post it three days a week forever. There are always people who are, um, we call them lurking, right? They, they, they're they in read-only mode. They're not going to engage. They're not going to like or comment or whatever, but they're sort of in read-only mode. And what, you, what people don't realize is that even though you can't see it, they are in some type of relationship with you. They are learning about you in some way. Of course, we talk about this in the, in the sort of business realm, but these people are in a relationship with you. And if you don't show up, then they can't be in that relationship with you. I love this so much. All right. I have some real life examples of this. Um, and I want to mention my book because it's really close to home for what you do. Um, I have the second book coming out this uh, coming out in October. So your, your show will have already aired when this comes out, but um, the, the book is called small list, big results launch a successful offer no matter the size of your email list. And the book launch is sort of meta in the sense that I'm following all the practices in the book around how to like build, a, build, a, build an audience before you create your offer. And so I built this huge launch team. I have over 350 people on my launch team and I'm several weeks from my launch date. And the first question on my launch team, I had a form. It said, why do you want to be on this launch team? which is very nice for me to get some, you know, some nice comments while you're right in the thick of launching. But I was getting all these nice comments from people whose names I didn't really recognize. Who I love your, like, I love your writing. I love your email. I like love, I get so much from your podcast. I, you know, it's like, whoa, I had no idea these people were, like you said, in lurk mode in, in like consumption mode. They had these, like, I know the people who hit reply. I know the people who comment. These are people who were just sort of on a list 
And maybe on my LinkedIn, they're like, oh, I saw it on LinkedIn. And I, you know, here was an opportunity for them to show up. I invite, it was explicitly an invitation to do something with me. And so they said yes. And it wasn't out of the blue for them because they've been, they feel like they've been part of a journey with me. And I, I think it's much easier to launch something when you've got that runway, when you have all these people who are like, when is it going to be out? I mean, I had people saying, did I miss the advanced copy? And I'm like, no, it comes out tomorrow. Oh, okay. Phew, I'm so glad I didn't miss it. Like, how do you even know it's coming? Like I'm on lots of launch teams that I have no idea when I'm supposed to get the material. <laughs> like, you know, they're like, no, 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 when is it? So, um, I, you know, I'd like you, I'm trying to help people think about sales differently. And for me, it's all about build the audience before you create the offer. Yeah. And this happens to me as well, all the time, people who they'll, they'll send me a message on LinkedIn. I've been following you for years. Um, now that I have a podcast, you know, the smart gets paid podcast, it's like they, uh, same thing, right. I'm so enjoying this and, and all this stuff. And, and I think that it's important as business owners, not to only have that for our business goals, right. To launch a book, to build a business, whatever, but it sort of like gives you life, you know, like it makes you, it reinforces that you're not just doing all this in vain. People are reading, they're listening, they are taking what you say to heart and, and they are in this, like I said, like this relationship with you, even though you may not see it and you can feel less alone. I think as content creators, um, I can't underscore enough on behalf of content creators all over the globe that if you are consuming something, reading something, listening to something, and it resonates, writing a quick note to that person to let them know in some kind of specific way, like I listened to this and then took this action or I listened to this and they made me think differently. Like big, that's the biggest compliment you can give someone is like the thing I created is hitting home. And today I hosted a book club for my launch team members. Um, they got the book a week ago. So I, I wanted to do a book club. You know, I'm moving them towards writing reviews. And to hear what was resonating with people as we were asking them questions like, you know, how, how did the stories from, the, from Robbie's clients like fit with what you were thinking? Like, what's holding you back? What, what, what was like feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. What was really exciting to you? And you're like, ah, oh, I know how to do that. Just to hear how people were interacting. It's like so nice after you spend all this time, you know, kind of in your own head. Um, so anyone out there who is moved by something you listen to or learn or, you know, consume, like go tell somebody, <laughs> go tell someone <laughs> team at smartgetspaid.com. I mean, you have no idea. It's really the equivalent of like walking by somebody and being like, you know what? That is a great top, right? That's that comment could change someone's day. You have no idea that could be the, you know, I love giving out compliments because, you know, when I see women, I mean, especially right now, my big thing is like complimenting women on gray hair because I've recently gone gray and, you know, it's an identity shift. And so, uh, I'll be like, Oh, love your hair. So good. And, uh, I once read something that said, you have no idea that could be the only nice thing they've heard that day. And so whenever I think of that, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. So if you are, I will echo what Robbie says. If you are, are moved by something that you read by any content creator online, Robbie, me, or anybody else, uh, you could really make their day by letting them know. So here's a practice that I, I don't think I've written, uh, spoken about on the show. Um, I look for HBR or like Fast Company or Inc. articles, like one of those kind of sh things 
about whatever I care about. So for a while, I, I reinvented myself last year and grew a business from zero to six figures as a virtual event design consultant. And so now I'm shifting back to business growth strategy um, to talk about how I did that. But I will grab a topic and I will share the link in, in um, LinkedIn, but I will send a friend request to the author and let them know, hey, tomorrow I'm sharing this with my network. I saw we had some people in common. I'd love to connect. And when the article actually gets posted, 99 out of 100 times, I get a connection. And half the time I get an email, a message back. And that has led to like great conversations. But I'm, and I say like, I, why I like the article, I like reiterate something about it. I add my two cents, whatever it is to really, it's not just like sharing it. I like draw some attention to it. And I've had some of those be my biggest views, like of the, all the things I've ever posted, the, my biggest posts have been someone else's content that I put my spin on. And then I'll let them know like three months later, Hey, by the way, that article like went like skyrocketed, by the way, this is how many views it got. I don't, I mean, who knows? Like they're not all big shot, you know, like business people. Some of them are like, this is the best thing I've ever had happened to me. <laughs> who knows? Right. Like, right. Um, and you're not doing it sitting there being like, well, are the sales going to come in? Right. You're doing it because, you know, to tell somebody, Hey, you, something that you did made an impact on me. I mean, is there anything more just honest and better than that? I love it. I love it. All right. So I'm going to move us to our final question, which is if we were connecting again a year from now, and I sincerely hope that we stay in touch for a zillion different reasons, but if we're connecting a year from now and you're telling about all the amazing things that happened in the previous year, what are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Oh my gosh. See, Robbie, you didn't tell me this question. Um, what are we celebrating in the year ahead? A few things. Well, first, my podcast is totally blowing up, right? And we're both so very excited about that. Um, Smart Gets Paid Podcasts. Look it up on Apple Podcasts. Um, in a year, you know, I have to say, this has been a really big learning year for my business. And so in, uh, in a year, we will celebrate that I'm out of the asking questions phase and I'm in the answers phase. And also in a year, it would be really awesome if uh, we'd like to grow our family and it would be awesome if that was happening. I can't wait to celebrate all that with you. That would be amazing on all fronts. And um, actually, you mentioned your podcast, Smart Gets Paid. I would love to know how else people can find you and follow your work. Yeah, well, so the best place to find me on the internet, besides my website, which is smartgetspaid.com, is LinkedIn. I'm on there several times a week posting tips and stories and self-deprecating things and resources. And so if you're looking to land more clients in your B2B consulting or coaching business or land higher paying clients, that's where you can find good stuff for me. That's awesome. Well, I will put all the links in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Leah, thanks so much for spending time with us. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Leah. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Look for episode 261. 
That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'm interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask them probing questions they have to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.